The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the countdown to NVIDIA earnings, what's really at stake for that stock and for the tech trade at large. The Investment Committee on the case joining me for the hour today. Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Amy Raskin, Jim Labenthal. Got a lot of NVIDIA shareholders today, which is a great thing. Let's check the market. So we're in the red. Uh, we've had this winning streak, you know, five days in a row for the S&P, NAS, and NASDAQ 100. Ten-year note yield, bottom of the screen. Look at that, 440. So we're going to watch all of that. Uh, but, Josh, let's start with you. You are a, uh, the uh, our NVIDIA person for the longest time. What's at stake tonight, you think? I think they're going to have to talk a lot about uh, supply chain and whether or not they can deliver to meet demand. That's probably the biggest story. Uh, the expectation here is pretty cut and dry. It's $3.36 a share in earnings on $16 billion in revenue. By the way, if they hit that $16 billion number, that's 170% year-over-year growth. That is just ridiculous for a trillion-dollar market cap company to be putting up a, a number like that. Um, they also unveiled the H200, which was last week. So that won't be part of last quarter's results. But um, this is the new GPU that's designed for training and deploying AI. It's a big product for them. It's a, it's a big upgrade for them. Uh, the H100 is the chip that OpenAI used initially to train uh, ChatGPT4. So this is even an upgrade from that. And again, we're talking about chips that cost somewhere between $25,000 and $40,000. So this is a really big quarter for them. Every quarter has been a big quarter. This is a really big deal. And I think if they can make the street feel comfortable about that supply issue, mm -hmm. and if they can talk more about the potential of the new chip they just launched for next quarter and next year, that should be enough to keep the stock where it is. Amy, I mean, it, it's a bigger deal because of what the stock has done. I, right. I, I think you can make that argument. It's, it's up 22%, 22% month to date, yep. the 21st of November. Um, S&P's top performing stock this year up 241%. It was 400 bucks on Halloween. Yep. Here we are, we're 500 bucks. Yep. We're 500 bucks today. So. Right. What does Expect it mean? Ex expectations are really high. Um, you know, last time they beat expectations and the stock did not trade well. We'll see if we get the similar um, results this time. But expectations are really high. I do think the supply issue, is, as Josh mentioned, is really important. Um, this is their Q3, so we don't get next year's or next year's revenue growth yet. But that's going to be really important next quarter. If you look at 2025 numbers, which a lot of people are basing the valuation on right now, the expectations are for a lot of growth, like 60% growth in data center. So they have to, um, you know, we're not going to find that out this this quarter. So in some ways, I'm, I'm more concerned about next quarter's re report. 
but they have to hit it out of the park and they and the stock has to react well. Well, we're, we're yeah. lucky to have Christina yeah. Partsinovelos at the table with us today who covers this company, um, knows it like the back of your hand. Um, can they live up to their own hype? I mean, I feel like we're, we're at that stage where we need to ask that. It's like, the, you know, what was it, two or three quarters ago, they had the, you know, tremendous blowout. The guidance was incredible. Uh, and then, as Amy was saying, you know, they, they had another good quarter, but the stock didn't react well. And now we've been on this huge run. To your point, I actually have a graph that shows just how well they beat in Q1 and Q2. Q1 for revenue, it was like 11% higher, which, meh, you're like, oh, 11% higher. That's a pretty decent beat. Last quarter, Q2 is 20%. So can they keep this momentum going? That is the big question uh, for this earnings period. If I were to pick three uh, main focuses, yes, supply constraints like Josh mentioned, but uh, Microsoft CTO said in September that that is improving. Uh, management on the earnings call last time, NVIDIA, did say that they expect supply to grow every single quarter sequentially. The other point would be China. That is a major overhang, maybe not right now because they said there'll be no near-term impact, but you do have these export controls and when China contributes 20 to 25% of data center revenue, you have to factor that in maybe a year from now when all of this uh, supply, the supply issues subside and everybody gets the backlogs of the GPUs they ordered. And then lastly is data center demand beyond 2024. Jimmy, you're kind of new to the party. Um, Better late than never. <laughs> I mean, I'm enjoying it regardless. Remind right? us and our viewers when you bought the stock. So I bought it in two tranches, and I'm at a 2% weighting right now, which is two-thirds of the S&P 500 weighting. But I bought it uh, you know, over the summer in two tranches, and it's about a $440 average price target. Compared to somebody like Josh, I look like a piker. But you know, we're up at 500 This feels pretty good. I'm enjoying the party. Look, I think the, the way that somebody, a newbie like me, looks at this is that this is a multi-year investment. Um, you know, we can talk talk about valuation, as Josh has pointed out many times, that's kind of irrelevant. Still, I'm going to do it, though, because you know what? 29 times forward earnings for a company that's growing 60% year-over-year earnings per share, I think that's actually a bargain. Um, now, can they live up to the hype, your question? I, I think they will, but I'm also going to say this. I wouldn't know how to trade the stock today for tomorrow, which is not what I'm doing. I'm a long-term investor. If they blow it out of the park tonight, I wouldn't be surprised if the stock gave up a little bit because of all the returns that you've just spoken about. That says nothing negative about the long-term potential for this stock. All I'm saying is um, when you have a stock that rallies this much, it's not unusual to give back a little bit after even a blowout earnings. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. Not a shareholder, but an observer, obviously. <laughs> and you own, you know, between Alphabet, well, Alphabet and Meta. Um, <laughs> you know, look, the, these stocks have done month to date. Uh, Meta's up 11.5%. Everything but Amazon is up double-digit percentage points month to date. So you, you do have a lot riding on it without owning it by virtue of the fact that, you know, these things have traded often as a group. Yeah. No, oh, absolutely. Look, I think the fundamentals are extremely strong. It's a trillion-dollar total addressable market. They're capturing a bulk of it, the majority of it, for now. Um, it's, a long, it's a long game, though, Scott. Um, but they are definitely benefiting from a different mix. Uh, the next-gen chip, as Josh talked about, better volumes, better ASPs. So you're going to have explosive growth and great margins, and that is really very powerful. That being said, the stock is up 241%. Year to date, that's a big number. I would rather own Broadcom, that you know I do, and that's trading at 23 times, and their AI component is gonna go from 10% of the total revenue mix last year to 25% next year, and I suspect that number is probably conservative. So I'm playing it, and to your point, yes, I'm also playing 
Amazon and I'm also playing Meta and, and Alphabet. Um, I think if, if NVIDIA is weak today or tonight, I think people are going to buy it because I think you're seeing this chase into the end of the year on all of these names. Yeah. So I think that's what's really going on and I think it's going to continue. Broadcom got a lot of conversation and then it didn't. Yeah. And it's up 15 and a half percent in a month as well. So it's, it's no slouch. Is it fair to ask how much better it can really get for NVIDIA? Yeah. Well, that, well, that's what needs to happen tonight or else the stock is going to drop. So two few things. You talked about the P4 PE that's still lower than the five-year average. So then, you know, bulls say, oh, it's cheap. Uh, you brought up just the H200. I know Josh did as well. The only thing with the H200, this is the new GPU that NVIDIA just launched, is that the memory is going to be less than AMD's launch this coming in just a few weeks. Plus, NVIDIA is launching a completely new GPU by the end of next year on a completely different architecture. So there might be an upswing, but there might not be because a lot of people know the next GPU is coming. And then the last point, you were just talking about the upswing in the stock just within the last month or so. A lot of that has to do with retail traders, too, especially. I was just seeing a Mizuho report that stated, you know, hedge funds are already in, long only, like yourself, already in. It's a lot of the retailers that are trying to get in, which means you could see a negative reaction if they aren't instilling confidence about growth uh, for the subsequent quarters. And Josh, the other point that's worth making, too, is where this valuation has gone. Remember, you know, bears or those who didn't own the stock, let's say in April, were like, eh, it's just too expensive. But the valuation by virtue of the guidance that the company's given you um, has come way in from where it was. It's 32 times now, and I don't remember what the exact number was in April, but I'm betting it was much higher than 32 times. Yeah, the only real the only real analogy to what's going on right now uh, would be the wireless revolution that took place in in the mid to late 90s that started in the mid to late 90s. What we're going to do with infrastructure spending on data and IT over the next 5 years is we are going to completely overhaul all of the data centers and they're and they're going to go from linear CPU powered compute to uh, GPU-powered nonlinear uh, compute because the killer app that's going to be the only thing that matters to tech companies and their customers is AI, ML, all of the things that you need these next generation chips for. So it's not that all of the infrastructure will be replaced in one year. It probably takes five to seven years, but you're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars a year, a year. And it's not just U.S., and it's not just China, it's all over the world. And it's not just corporations, and it's not just tech, it's government, it's, it's anything you can think of. So the, the world is going to be unrecognizable five years from now. That's nice to say, but then we have to discount back and we have to say, well, how much of this revolution is already priced into these names? And what's crazy to me, because I've been around a while, we do not have the same ridiculous overvaluation in this tech revolution as we've seen in prior versions. These stocks are cheaper than they were in 21. That's number one. Uh, and that was a legit bubble. Way cheaper than the tech giants were in 2000 when we were first building out the first generation of the internet. We just don't have that level of euphoria yet. We may never have it. Um, so when you, uh, Arista Networks is another name. This stock's gonna go crazy if Nvidia has a good report. Uh, tonight, because Arista is part of this cloud data center overhaul um, to the next gen chips. 
AMD, a stock I, I bought recently, I'm in the name. Uh, that's another, so, but when you look at the multiples of these stocks, they're not negative earnings. They're not trading 180 times forward. Like, that's not what's going on right now. We have seen bubbles like that. That's not this. I think the investors in this space, by and large, are being serious when they're ratcheting up their expectations. It's because the companies are giving them the leeway to do so with their results. We saw that all year with NVIDIA. So I don't know what the reaction will be tonight, but I'm pretty sure Steph will be right. If they sell these names off, on, on one quarter's worth of data, it's not really gonna matter for the longer term opportunity. That's, that's how it's gone for, for pretty much any of these names. Uh, so we'll see in OT. I'll see you on Closing Bell. Definitely. I'm sure. Christina Partzinevelos, who's covering NVIDIA, and will be when those earnings hit the tape. Look, the other story I, I wanna get to is, is Microsoft because of this drama, saga, chaos, you know, whatever descriptor you wanna put on that. Uh, Dan Ives, you know, covers a company Amy, the OpenAI Circus show continues to uh, continues as pressure builds. Microsoft wins either way. Uh, so you're a shareholder of uh, of Microsoft. Is that how you see it? They win either way. Well, maybe for the long term, but in the short term, having OpenAI not be part of Microsoft is actually very beneficial for them because they get the revenue from OpenAI in their Azure growth. And last quarter was the first time you saw Azure growth reaccelerate. And some of that had to be due, due to OpenAI and the data that it puts on its network. And it can do that because it only owns 49% of it. Also, they don't have to consolidate the losses that OpenAI is definitely generating. So from a near-term financial point of view, I actually think OpenAI, is, it's better for Microsoft, and Roger McNamee talked about this a little bit earlier on the air, it's better for Microsoft if it's not consolidated into their revenue. And, and if I could just make one point on Josh's point that the valuations for the Magnificent Seven are certainly much less than they were in prior bubbles, but I will say the market cap has gone from $1 trillion to $10 trillion for those, those seven companies. $10 trillion compared to our total GDP of 23 trillion is already very, very big. It cannot do, those stocks as a group cannot go up tenfold again. So I do think that even though the valuations look reasonable. What about because, buybacks? What they can do buybacks, that's certain, but they can't buy back $10 trillion worth of stock. And so I think that, that, look, I'm not saying, I think this bubble can continue to go, but I think we are in the early stages or if not mid stages of a bubble. Well, and I don't think it's gonna be a straight line. To Josh's point, um, we've had the second largest weekly buyback in Bank of America's flow data uh, since 2010. Communication services and tech led those inflows for a second consecutive week. So you, can, you do have, to Josh's point, um, buybacks. You know, there's a lot that supports this broad group. I mean, Amazon alone has $21 billion in free cash flow in the past 12 months. This is exactly why you pay a premium multiple because of the free cash flow that these companies uh, exhibit. So absolutely, I think buybacks are a big piece of it. Um, I think if you look across technology, not just the Magnificent Seven, across technology, that's what the theme, one of the biggest themes is. It's, it's cash flow and it's also total addressable market. 
I, I just want to point out that it's more than tech um, because we've been fearing the market overall, a bear market, a recession for two years now. Um, and across the board, companies have done better than expected for those who thought a recession would come in. And what that means is not just tech, but outside of tech, there's been better cash flows. There's been pay down of debt first for those cyclical companies that are now moving to buying back shares as well. And the bottom line is this, the cumulative amount of time the companies have been outperforming expectations means they can clean up their balance sheet and buy back more shares. The problem with that though, if you want to make a comparison between those, and I know you're talking about General Motors and the like, because yep. you've made yep. that yep. kind of comment before, um, those stocks have not been rewarded. And the difference maker in the Magnificent Seven is even when the earnings haven't been blowout, where you know revenue growth has been negative, which let's just say for Apple for the last three quarters, right? They've had declining uh, revenue. The stock is at 190. Yeah. So the stocks in this space haven't been punished for nearly as much as, as some of these other groups that are doing what you say, Judge, true, cleaning true up balance sheet, buying yep. back stock, does, hasn't mattered as much. Uh, it hasn't mattered at all. I mean, you're being generous and I appreciate it. Uh, it's been very frustrating, Scott. However, if you are a long-term investor and people know exactly who, when, when they are long-term investors, they know what I'm saying. You're now getting a concentrated portion of those earnings. Those earnings are going to matter in the form of dividends, in the form of eventually, even if the multiple does nothing, the earnings per shares goes up as the share count goes down. Uh, and by the way, on some of these multiples for these cyclical stocks, as we come out of this fear of a hard landing, those multiples are likely to go up. They're ridiculously low. You want to comment on Microsoft? Do you agree with, with Ives? I'm, I'm curious as to how you're viewing this. This was viewed as a coup. Uh, for Microsoft? I mean, as a shareholder, I, I don't care about the Altman drama. It's fun to watch. I mean, it is fun to watch. I'm a little bit where Amy is, and I, I don't want to paraphrase you too strongly, but you did use the bubble word. Um, I'm not adding to a Microsoft position right now. It's just hard to do at this price. Um, and and after, the, after the returns you've seen, it, do I think it's going down? No, because if I thought it was going down, I would sell the shares I do. Yeah, own. but I mean, come on. If you're, if you're like, even in, in the way, 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 way back of your mind, like worried about a possible bubble, then you can't buy NVIDIA at 450. Um, I mean, come I, on. No, but I'm, I, I'll, I'll come right back at you. And this was actually, I was going to say this earlier. So you were talking about the multiple on NVIDIA before. Before that April, or excuse me, that May blowout quarter, the multiple was 60. It's now on a forward basis. It's now 29. I mean, a value investor is not going to look at that and say, oh, this is Intel. Of course not. But you are going to look at that 29 times multiple for a company that's growing earnings at 60% and say to yourself, if they miss on earnings, and let's just say they grow at 45%, 40%. That still is a peg ratio that is, is uh, less than one for a company that is a darling of the stock market. So to Steph's point, if it goes down, it's going to get bought. Right, but expectations are very high. So that's what has brought the multiple down. It's just that the earnings have gone up so much. And you have to believe, and I do, I own, I own NVIDIA, I also own Microsoft. But So this will go on for a while, but it's not going to go on forever. I mean, there definitely is not. pull forward but, from but, future. But, when you're supply constrained, you've seen this before in semis. When you're supply constrained, you do get double ordering. You do get people taking anything that they can get at any price that they can get. And that $100 billion that Josh was talking about of CapEx, that also has to be calculated in the buybacks. You're, you can't spend the money both on CapEx and buybacks at the same time. 
time. So there's a lot of calls on this capital that you know that people want. So it it will keep going for the it's foreseeable keep, future. It's keep going it's just not going to go forever, gonna, and that's what you have gonna, to it's keep, gonna watch. Keep going that. because right. portfolio managers are underweight. Well, this that's driving the stock. Group. That's not driving the fundamentals. Well, that's right. That's but I'm talking about the stock. I'm not so. That's right. That's I'm not so sure. See. That's why you're going to see. Well, I'm not so sure they're buy. underweight now. I mean, I you, think think they are. you still think they're underweight? The magnificent seven. Yes, I do. You almost. Yes, yes, yes. It's it's too concentrated, Scott, to have in a portfolio. It's, I mean, it's it's kind of like risk control, risk management. I think you want to have much more diversification, which I do, and that's not helped this year. But I, don't I think know. it's For, not. Maybe risk management's been turned on its head. It's like bad risk management. Oh, Scott, so maybe it's Scott, bad you know risk better. You know not better. Be, Come on. Uh, well I, overweight these names. I know you're being provocative, and I see the smile. Um, you know those are the words that go before the fall. So don't even utter them. <laughs> that maybe risk management has been turned on its head for a moment. For a moment, yes, but not likely to last. If you look at any long-term chart of concentration, like the top five stocks are now 25% of the S&P 500. If you look at any long-term chart, it has peaks and then it comes down. That's likely to happen. The question is, does it go down by these magnificent seven uh, plummeting? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think the rest of the market catches up. Josh, what do you think? We really don't have any analog in history for companies that are this dominant and this disrespectful of the boundaries that historically would have surrounded them. When the last time we had this degree of market cap concentration in the U.S. stock market, it was the 1950s and it was General Electric and AT&T. They were a massive chunk of the stock market, but they stayed pretty much in their lane. AT&T focused on telecom and uh, GE focused on industrial and electricity. This is not that. These companies are banks, they're healthcare providers, they're retailers, they're doing e-commerce, they're getting into, um, they're getting into medical. They, they pretty much do whatever they want, they go wherever they want, and they are way more dominant in the everyday life of a consumer than any companies that we could think of. That's not to say they're invincible or that they'll never shrink in market cap relative to, to the S&P. No one is suggesting this is forever. However, there is no analog to these businesses and the degree to which they've been able to insinuate themselves mm -hmm. into businesses, families, household, and it's global. You're citing US GDP statistics to me. These companies are in 190 countries. So let's talk about Apple very quickly, just as an example. This is a company that buys back 20 to $25 billion worth of stock every quarter. Every quarter, $25 billion. That's why the price can continue to go up, but the market cap doesn't go up at the same rate. And if you're a shareholder, the more of that buyback activity that goes on, quite frankly, the higher of a claim you have on the company's overall earnings proportionately. So Buffett understands this. That's why it's his largest position. It's a quarter of Berkshire's valuation. It's half his stock portfolio. So they're not all Apple. It won't go on for the rest of our lives. But that's what's going on now. And I've been hearing people since 2015 tell me how it's unsustainable. Okay? Here we are eight years later. Well, you, like, you, well, you still got the stopwatch it, running? It you does, still short? It does speak to where you know, some strategists think you should be whether you should maintain an overweight stance on these stocks. Subra, uh, Savita Subramanian Bank of America, whom Josh I know follows closely, says we maintain a cyclical bias. Raise communication services to market weight and lower infotech to underweight. 
still see U.S. Tech and TMT, Tech Media Telecom, as long-term secular winners. On that note, Jimmy, you bought BlackRock. I know. We're going to talk about a financial after after all these technology stocks, after Josh's well, impassioned I just set, I just set you up discussion. for this. Um, look, sometimes I, I, look, I look at this BlackRock, and I think this is just easy. This is just, it's so obvious that if the stock market's going up and 52% of their assets are tied to the stock market and it's just a fee that they're not going to, they're not going to discount their fee on these ETFs as the stock market keeps going up. And oh, by the way, what about fixed income? As some people will get tired of active equity management and as they get older and they say, you know what, why don't I just put it in a BlackRock, you know, uh, uh, aggregate bond fund? Yeah, it's only three basis points. But the point that I'm driving at here is there's so many shots on goal for this company for them to keep growing their assets, particularly as the markets continue to go higher, their fees go up with it. Uh, not, you know, it's 19 times earnings. It's done nothing for a year with the whole financial space. I know we've talked about that ad nauseum. If you believe, like me, the worst is over as far as the Fed goes and that the economy, I don't know, it slows down this quarter, maybe next quarter, but then it starts to rip again uh, on the back of supply chain onshoring, all that sort of stuff. Why not be in the financials, a traditional cyclical? All right. Well, coming up, our chart of the day. It's a retail stock. It's surging 20% on its earnings beat. We'll get shareholder reaction ahead from the committee. Halftime's back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. I want you to look at a chart of the day. It's Burlington. It's surging more than 20%. That's after an earnings beat. Joe Terranova owns it, which is why we made him come on, <clears throat> excuse me, and talk about it. We would have done it if it was a negative move or two, Joe. But they raised the lower end of the full-year earnings guidance. Stock's on the run. What do we do? It sure is. And this was a relief rally built upon stronger margins. And this is a stock that has been underperforming year-to-date relative to the other off-price names like TJX and Ross Stores. Burlington's down 33% on the year. So here's my guidance. If you are trading the name, if you're trading the name, understand short interest in this stock is above 4%. We're seeing a very similar pattern, and Stephanie knows this well, to what we've witnessed over the past week in Target, which means to me there's further upside ahead for Burlington. There's more room to run. 
And I think this is also sending a very clear message in retail itself that off-price has been the place to be and will be the place to be. And I say it has been the place to be because I think that's somewhat surprising. I think most people say, okay, well, the economy might decelerate and the consumer is going to get cost conscious. No. One of the reasons why Ross Thor and TJX has benefited so far this year is because the consumer is spending in a different place. They're not spending on retail. They're spending on travel. They're spending on dining out. And now Burlington finally is participating in that strong tailwind that's emanated all of 2023. And I think there's further upside ahead for the stock. You know, I, I hear what you're saying. And Steph, I'll, I'll ask you to opine on this too. I still feel like that's almost too broad brush um, because it's not like all off or lower price retailers are just knocking it out of the park. I look at Kohl's, for example. Would you put Kohl's in that category? No. You wouldn't? No. What category would you put that in? in nope. Oh, gosh. In a, in a <laughs> rundown department store almost kind of concept. Seriously. Um, I, no, absolutely not. You wouldn't, you wouldn't put Kohl's in off price no. or lower price? No. Huh? They're going to become off price because they're going to lower prices substantially, but they don't have the merchandise that some of these off pricers have. But I mean, they don't they, have the shoppers. But they, lower, they lowered the low end of their full year outlook, right? So that stock's lower, whereas the one we're talking about now, Burlington simply raised the lower end of its full year and the stock gets rewarded. But look at Kohl's. It's down, what is that, nine, near 9%. Yeah, but they don't have the brands that some of these off pricers right. have, right? And they don't have the price. Um, at that 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 uh, Kohl's has. I mean, Kohl's Kohl's is actually overpricing, in my opinion, at this point, and they're going to have to cut substantially. And all of the inventories, excess inventories that Kohl's has, that Macy's has, that the entire industry has, that actually benefits the off-pricers. They're just buying this stuff hand over fist, yep. For, and then they so they have like years worth of inventory to sell, and it's name brands, brands that people want, and it's the treasure hunt. And that's what you get with the off-pricers. Joe? Steph is so right. I mean, it's spot on. Think about it. If right now we're headed into a period where the economy begins to cool, and I know you've got Jimmy the Bull sitting there, so he's going to disagree <laughs> with me on that. But the brands, the brands are going to begin to see inventory build. How do you work off that inventory? Do you want to go online and offer significant discounts? Or to Steph's point, uh, Steph's point, do you turn to TJX? Do you turn to Ross stores? Do you turn to Burlington and say, here's our inventory at a discount, you go sell it. And that's exactly why these off-price retailers, as we move forward, are going to continue to have these tailwinds emanating. Amy, you own Costco, I mean, you own Nike. Yep. What, what's your take on retail? Generally speaking, I think it's softening. Um, I mean, it, you're seeing the more recent reports be worse than the reports at the sort of the beginning of earnings. So um, we're, we have a couple, we're underweight retail, generally speaking. I do think um, the consumers are looking for deals. Um, you're going to get some deflation, as all of the companies have really basically been talking about, which will be good for the overall markets um, and having inflation come down. But generally speaking, you have to be very choosy and um, it's not where I'd want to be right now. Jimmy the Bull. 
Yeah, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about the, the headwinds that consumers right. facing, right? And we know what they are, right? High credit card, uh, interest rates, resuming uh, student loan repayments. I mean, it can go on down the list, but they are still employed. Yeah. Wages are increasing and inflation is coming down. Now, we might argue, we should argue about whether the Christmas season, the holiday season is going to be a big one or not. But let's just say I'm wrong that the holiday season is not going to be big. I think when you get past the next three months and you've got inflation really tamed and the Fed's foot is off the neck of the economy and people are starting to feel good again. I mean, first off, the consumer has consumed despite these sentiment surveys being at rock bottom levels. Imagine what happens when their sentiment starts to pick up because they're not deluged with all this bad news. So I might possibly, I'm not giving in on this, might possibly be wrong about the holiday spending season. I'm not giving in on that. But if I am wrong, I think the rest of the year coming forward is going to quickly be recognized right. as a good year for the thing, consumer. The interesting thing in these earnings reports across the board has been the margin story, the profitability of these companies in the right. face of kind of like eh, so-so right. demand. Well, they're, right? trying to, they're trying to avoid heavy, mm -hmm. heavy discounting. But, and they, well, they are, but they're doing a really good job and they're getting so and they're benefiting from lower freight costs, lower input costs, better supply chains, better pricing, lower digital costs, more efficiencies. So, I mean, I'm just saying, like, my point being is the margins are hanging in there and they're really impressive. And when demand comes back, because it will, when it comes right. back, you're going to see substantial operating leverage. And I think that the consumer, like Jimmy, I don't, I mean, I think that they're still in pretty good shape because the labor market is so tight. All right, let's get the headlines now with Leslie Picker. Hey, Les. Scott, President Biden announcing initiatives today with the U.S., China, and Mexico that would restrict the flow of fentanyl across borders. China pledged to crack down on the export of precursor components that make fentanyl, including pill presses. And Mexico said it will step up efforts to block the importation of the drug's precursor chemicals. President Biden also called on Congress to act. A Colorado district court judge ruled that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection on January 6, 2021, but that he will be allowed to stay on the state's primary ballot. Both parties filed to appeal this ruling with the state Supreme Court. The plaintiff said that a Civil War era provision could apply to presidents, while Trump appealed the finding that he engaged in an insurrection and that a state judge should be the one to settle the case. A 2003 BBC interview with street artist Banksy could reveal the mysterious artist's real name. The lost interview shows the reporter clarifying the artist's name, to which he responds, it's Robbie. This interview gives a glimpse into who the artist is, including the rare opportunity to hear his voice. I don't know if it's Robbie Banksy or something else. And also, how do you lose an interview like that? It's a, a good discovery nonetheless, Scott. And maybe we'll never truly know. <laughs> Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. Up next, we're talking Zoom's earnings beat. Josh, of course, owns it. We get his reaction. We'll also give you the setup on Deer ahead of that print tomorrow. We're back right after this both stock screen. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We are back. Take a look at Zoom. Turns positive. That's after reporting an earnings beat. Josh, you do own this. Weren't sure going in if it was going to be a good report, but what do you make of what this stock's doing now, what you think it'll do moving forward from here? 
based on the results, I'm staying with it. I didn't understand the early morning selling. I, I guess like maybe if you bought it, like looking for a huge upside surprise and didn't get it, it's like, all right, that trade's over, fine. But if you're an investor in the company, look, they outperformed what they said they'd be able to do. And the most important progress that they're making is in the enterprise. And that's the future of this business. The future of this business is not like making a ton of money on Zoom calls because that technology is commodified. So if you think that their pivot into the enterprise is the future and you saw what they reported, well, the amount of corporate accounts spending more than $100,000 with them this quarter was up 13%. That's where the growth is going to be, and that's where they're showing it to you. They launched the AI Companion in September. They had 200,000 accounts download that immediately and start using it. Uh, there's a lot going on here. It has nothing to do with pandemic, blah, blah, blah. And the great part about it is it's like 14 times earnings. So they might fail. It might not work. Maybe they don't find growth, but it's profitable. It's cheap. Nobody else likes it. And I think that that's the opportunity. So I'm, I'm going to give them another quarter and we'll see what happens. All right. The other is the setup before the bell tomorrow, Jimmy, and that's deer. Um, we've been having debates about, you know, what is a stock that normally doesn't get many debates um, because you own it. Steph no longer owns it, sold it, you know, I don't know, a week or so ago. Yeah. What do we expect here going in? Well, uh, there's a pretty good track record the last several quarters of outperforming uh, what the estimates are, and I expect that to continue. I think the question is not so much whether they will outperform, but what the stock price reaction will be to that performance, because the last two quarters, they've had really strong beats and the stock's gone down. Very vexing, so you have to ask yourself, why is that? The answer is simple. Where people think we are, most people in the economic cycle is nearer to a top. And uh, people think that these earnings that they keep, they keep outperforming on are peak earnings. Maybe that's true. I happen to think we're more in the middle of the cycle. I know it's a minority opinion, but it is my opinion. And so I do see the earnings growth around 10% going forward for the next few years. For a stock trading at 11 times earnings, historically in a high teens, I like the setup, but I have to acknowledge the last couple of quarters, the response has been terrible. I, mean, Steph, I saw Steph just had the calculator out. She's <laughs> she, was, she was literally crunching the numbers, man, <laughs> while, you were, while you were going through I the hate thing. It, I hate it when she and I disagree. No, it's just I awful. Saw, I she's sitting right next to me. I, I couldn't awful. help but notice. No, she's like crunching I, the numbers I, in. I, I'm crunching the numbers on Quanta Services because I sold deer to buy Quanta Services, okay. and it's up 12% in a week and a half's time. So it's actually, uh, that's really one of the reasons. I needed the, uh, the funds. I didn't have cash, so I wanted to own Quanta, I mean, but Deer, I have to deer. say, you no, no, I don't it, hate right? Deer, but I, I was not fond of FMC and Corteva missing on guidance. That was disappointing. They said that farmers are trading down. I don't think Deer's going to miss. They have such margin momentum from all the technology, and they're the number one in the industry. However, I'm not sure you're going to get multiple expansion because of where there's too many question marks about where we are in the cycle. Exactly. But that's exactly so right. I don't want to be, so be caught you, in that. No, that's, you know what I mean? that, and I respect that. So if you have my opinion on where we are in the cycle, you're looking at this, you're saying 11 times, this is a gift. Um, there still is some proving to be done about where we are in the cycle. I get that. So, you know, I think that question is going to be answered in the next couple of months, really. I don't think we're going to be discussing this well into 2024. I think the Fed's backed off, and we're going to see how robust this economy is. And we, and we as PMs look at, you know, kind of risk-reward, and I think there's more reward in quanta versus deer in and, the and next also, six this conversation months. extends more broadly to yeah. the industrials in general, sure. which is a wide space. I don't care if it's machinery like Caterpillar, transportation 
transportation, like the airlines, uh, you, you go across the board, electric well, machinery. Chef sold cat too. Yeah. I look at the gleam in your eye. If you want to set her up for something wait. where she's going to agree with you, don't go there. Okay, but wait, I sold Cat to, to buy Parker Hannafin. So, and Parker Hannafin has done much better than Caterpillar. Yeah, so, Scott. And it's deer. not that I don't like and Cat deer. or and Deer. I know. Well, Why don't I just, you give Jimmy the Because the I'm a stock picker, and I think there's more upside to the names well, that I own now. He says he is, too. <laughs> I'm not in well, Cat, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, you guys are cracking with, me up good today. Good luck with them, too. Just good luck with them. Right. I'm not in it. Good. Okay. Great. All right. Uh, Mike Santoli, he's next with his midday word. Welcome back. Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator, is here for his midday word. I mean, it's you know, a little quiet on the eastern front. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, it all builds to NVIDIA after the bell. Right. Sort of sleeping it off. I went back and looked at the uh, other earnings dates for NVIDIA this year. Really, it was only the, Mar- the May report, May 24th, that really charged the market up and got everybody uh, rushing uh, to kind of get their hands on some of this exposure. Um, the other ones, you know, in August, it was kind of like mid-bounce, and it contributed to that bounce. So um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's going to be the thing that matters for the market, but it will give a little bit of information about uh, where we are in the risk cycle, because we're rebuilding, it seems to me. If you see, like, you know, financial conditions have loosened up a little bit. The technical tenor of the market has improved. You've gotten above some resistance areas. It seems like we bought ourselves some kind of dip buying habits for the next little while here until something changes. Um, So, yep, we should cool off a little bit here. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, It does seem, though, as if you know, if you look at things like the deep value, I mean, they've bounced. They're back in their range that they've kind of been wallowing in for a while. But they're all, they're they're away from the brink, at least. You want to comment quickly on rates? <clears throat> Excuse me, ten yeah. year four forty one. I mean, when they were you know at five, you're like, man, and, and it feels like forever ago. Yeah. And it also like feels month. like yeah. the, <laughs> feels like the drop is like now they're like three, even yeah, though yeah, they're yeah. four. Exactly. You know what I mean? But that's the pattern. You know, if you went back to late 2022 and you fought, you touched four three. On the on the highs, in the 10-year note yield, it backed off from there. That gave the stock market relief. That sort of took away the idea that we were in the stagflationary panic and the recession was happening. But it didn't go back to two and a half. You know what I mean? So you you do have that. You can settle back and make your piece with a new slightly higher range. Uh, that said, 435 is where everyone seems to be watching to see if you really have a breakdown on the yield front. All right, we'll see. And that's you. where the loosening of financial conditions is coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will see you on Closing Bell. Yeah. Mike Santoli will join us then, of course. Coming up, it is game on for streamers. Their big bet on the NFL paying off in a big way. Our Julia Borsted live at SoFi Stadium following that story for us today. Hey, Julia. Well, Scott, NFL ratings are way up, especially on streaming. I talked to the NFL's chief media and business officer about their first ever Black Friday game and the digital future of the league. That's next when Halftime Report returns. Now to the NFL's big bet on streaming, turning out to be a total touchdown. Our Julia Borston following that story live for us at SoFi Stadium, Inglewood, California. Hey, Julia. Hey, well, that's right. Amazon is betting big on the NFL for its Super Bowl, which is Black Friday. It's going to be streaming the league's 
first game the day after Thanksgiving. And in the second year with NFL Thursday night games on Amazon, those ratings are up 26% from last year through week 11, helping drive total NFL viewership up 6% for the first 10 weeks of the season. Now, the NFL says it's nearly doubled the number of subscribers for its NFL Plus streaming service in its second year. And it's also the first year that Alphabet's YouTube has had the rights to NFL Sunday ticket. That offering has been credited with helping drive YouTube TV's estimated nearly 50% subscriber growth. We're not revealing the exact subscriber number, but I would put it this way, is we have seen growth and we're very happy. Um, it has exceeded our expectations. We have always felt that Sunday Ticket was a could really be innovated upon if it was on a digital platform, and YouTube is really proving that out. Now the NFL is looking to expand not just digitally, but also internationally. They're reviewing Brazil and Spain as potential sites for new games next year. Scott? Yeah, Julia, interesting story. Thanks so much. That's Julia Borson. You guys want to kick this around a little? By the way, big shout to our guy Al Michaels, of course. <laughs> uh, and happy Thanksgiving to him. I hope he's watching. He has a great holiday. It is, look, it is the sport that everybody talks about. It is the most important sport in America. I don't think there's any question about that. And it does help the streamers. Now, the, you know, the one streamer that I'm in that really benefits from it is Paramount. Um, that's one of their crown jewels. It's one of the reasons that uh, this fall and, and continuing on, they've been able to add uh, subscribers. And they're seeing their free cash flow estimates go up. But I, I think, really, the NFL has done a very good job of monetizing, continuing to monetize. I don't think we looked back two years ago and said they were doing a bad job of monetizing their business they just continue to expand it it continues to be the most popular sport in america we got to move because i got breaking news uh, right now regarding binance our kate rooney following that story for us kate what do we know Hey, Scott, so Binance and its CEO plan to strike a plea deal with the DOJ. That's according to The Wall Street Journal. They're citing sources familiar with the matter. This is the world's largest crypto exchange, CE, the uh, CZ, rather, the CEO. Cheng Peng Zhao is expected to plead guilty to violating criminal U.S. anti-money laundering laws. Again, Journal here citing sources. It preserves the company's ability to operate, though. CZ is scheduled, according to the journal, to appear in a Seattle federal court this afternoon to enter his plea. Binance is owned by Zhao. He's the majority owner. He is going to play, uh, plead guilty here to criminal charges and agree to pay fines of about $4 billion, $4.3 billion. And that includes amounts to settle civil allegations made by regulators. This would allow Zhao to retain his majority ownership of Binance. According to the journal, he will not have an executive uh, role at the company. I did speak to a source close to the company who says that this has been on the table for years. CZ step, stepping down has been something that U.S. regulators have been seeking for about three years now. The source telling me regulators have been seeking his removal. It ends this years-long investigation by the DOJ. A source also saying that Richard Tang is seen as the heir apparent. He's the head of global markets at Binance. They also told me that $4 billion, it may sound like a lot. It is a drop in the bucket, as they put it, for Binance. They said it's a profitable company. U.S. business is already shut down here, guys, but it is the latest move by regulators in the crypto space after FTX. You've seen them go after Coinbase as well, Kraken this week. But big news about the world's largest crypto exchange. Scott, back to you. All right, Kate. Appreciate that. That's Kate Rooney. We'll do final trades after this quick break. Big Show, 3 o'clock Eastern, closing bell. We're going to run you right up to NVIDIA. Jason Snipe, Stacey Raskon, Joe Terranova all own the stock. 
Well, Stacey Raskin, of course, top-ranked analyst, so you'll hear from him. Uh, Liz Ann Saunders joining us, too. Perfect timing for that. Kevin Simpson with his new moves. So I hope you'll join me then. Let's do final trades. Josh Brown, kick us off. Um, I actually want to do a last-minute change. I want to shout out J.P. Morgan. This is the stock that has made it through the storm in the banking sector. I think has a nice run into year-end. Jimmy, give me a name, please. Uh, Boeing. Okay, good stuff. Amy? Mitsubishi Financial. Okay, <laughs> Stephanie Lane. GE. GE. All right, old school. Old school. <laughs> All right. Hey, you guys have a great Thanksgiving, okay? Josh, you have a great holiday as well, all of you too. I'll see you on Closing Valley Exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50, so it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.